Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. My wife, Joy, is 100% Italian. She comes from a family that her grandparents immigrated from Italy back in the, I believe it was in the 20s, and, uh, and came over. Her, actually, her grandfather was a World War I veteran. And, uh, and so they came, landed in America. She's got a very colorful family. Joy's only the second generation born here in America. And when I taught her how to speak English, it helped our relationship tremendously. <laughs> but she, uh, she, she has a, her mom, her mom was here first service. Her mom doesn't look at, but her mom's 92 years old. She's, I mean, she, and she's still a lot of pepper for 92. She, she's still going strong. She's got an Aunt Mary, though, that Aunt Mary is, she's a riot. She's 90 years old, and then she, her, her, her younger aunts are in their 80s. Very colorful family. And they all live in L.A., and uh, Mary grew up, or her, married a man, big guy, and she had two big sons. Everybody played football. Mary loves football. And she, she, not, she doesn't just like, oh, I'll, Joy, Joy watches football with me. Joy's like, who's winning? That's all she can say. <laughs> but when Mary watches football, Mary's like, why did the quarterback throw into double coverage? She's, she's amazing at, at what she, she can grasp football. She's been an L.A. Ram fan for years. So I thought, man, she's got to be pumped. She's in L.A., the game is there. Her Rams are in the Super Bowl. No, Mary's not pulling for the Rams this year. And uh, that's what I said, huh, what? And I thought, oh, let me guess. She thinks Joe Burrow is cute, so she's going to pull for him. Uh, no, no. What happened is Mary and her sisters, uh, younger sisters, they all went to Vegas a few months ago. And Mary put, she and her sisters, they, they pulled their money, and they put 100 bucks on Cincinnati to win the Super Bowl before the season started. Ooh. If they win, they win $18,000. I'm going to enjoy the game. They are not going to enjoy the game. There is going to be no peace in that household because now they've got something, something at stake. And uh, I, I would love to be, because they're all getting together. Joy's family, they're, man, they're Italian. And man, they can, they can bring volume when they come. Mary came to one of our services. She comes every time she comes into town. She comes, she, I said, Mary, what do you think of the service? She said, I love the service. She said, I, couldn't, I didn't have my hearing aids in, so I didn't hear a thing, but I love the service. <laughs> May I suggest you don't do that, but... It, uh, she's a hoot, but there will be no peace for her in this game. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with your message? Glad you asked, because this morning I want to talk about the God of peace. We've been talking about what kind of God, what kind of God is God? And this morning I want to talk about he is the God of peace. So we're going to talk about that, talk about that his peace is a reality and his peace can be a reality in your life. Now, people are always seeking for peace. I'm the tail end, Joy and I are on what they consider the tail end of the baby boom that took place in the 40s and 50s. 
And so growing up in the 60s and, and 70s, especially late 60s, early 70s, there was a peace movement going on because of the Vietnam conflict. And there were peace marches and the peace sign. And my mother would never let me put a peace sign or the other peace sign, which was looked like an upside down. She's like, it's a broken cross. I don't know if that's true, but my mama wasn't having it. But peace meant the war would stop. It was a cessation of hostilities, no more. So for some people, that's what peace means. For some people, peace means an environment that's free from stress and turmoil. You just have, you have peace. That's why people love vacations, right? They go on vacation so we can go. No one ever goes to so vacation like, I'm, I need to go to the highest stress place I can get. No, we like to go to places where we can relax. If you're a beach person, maybe you're a mountain person, somewhere where you're just like, I don't have any worries. It's just nothing. Maybe you're a lake person, but peace. I remember Jody Hart when Jody's one of our wonderful staff members and just does a whole lot. Happy person. When she came to work for us, she always smiled a lot. We, we finally asked her after a couple of months, Jody, how do you like working here? Because she came from a corporate world. How do you like working here at the Ark? She said, you know what? I was thinking the other day, I've been here for two months. I've heard nobody screaming. I've heard nobody slamming doors and nobody dropping F-bombs on one another. Aren't you glad to know that in our staff, we don't scream and, and, and throw stuff and drop F-bombs on one another? But for Jody who came from that environment. I said, was that the environment you came out? She said, it was, it was, it could be horrible. And so for her to come and work with us, she said, it's just such a, a stress-free environment. People like that, no stress. That's what peace means. For some people, peace means that inner calm. They're just searching for peace. This is why a lot of times you see people look for something on the outside to impact something on the inside. There were two nuns in a, in a convenience store way down south, and uh, one of them, they were standing in front of the, the, the beer uh, cooler, and one of them said to the other one, she said, sister, I, it's awfully hot down here. I sure would like a nice cold beer. And her sister said, I agree, sister, but I'm just afraid it would cause a commotion at the checkout counter. And the other nun said, I got this handled, sister. So she grabbed a six-pack. They walked to the counter, put it down on the counter, and, and the cashier looked at them. His eyebrows went up, and she said, oh, she said, we use, we nuns, we wash our, our hair in this beer. And at the nunnery, we call this Catholic shampoo. <laughs> and he, he didn't bat an eye. He reached over on the wall and he grabbed a big bag of pretzel sticks and put them in the bag and said, I got you, sister. Curlers are on the house. So if, if you happen to be a real big shampoo guy um, or girl, a lot of times what it is, often people are looking for something on the outside to produce peace. This is why you see people often even get into drugs. They're looking for a sense of peace on the inside. And so fear, all these things that can rob us of peace, people are looking for peace. People are always, man, they'll, they'll, they'll find it any way they can. Sometimes people do it in escapism. A lot of different ways we can look at this. But what does God say about peace? And, and when I'm talking about this, please, I want you to understand something. If you belong to him, God wants you to have his peace. This is what Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica. He said, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. 
May the Lord of peace himself. The word peace is actually used in the New Testament over 100 times. Anytime you see a word repeated, God's trying to make a point. And it's repeated and it's repeated because he is the God of peace. He is, he's the God of peace. And that peace doesn't just mean tranquility of mind and heart, although it can. It also can mean wholeness and soundness. It's, it's a really good thing. And God wants peace for his people. But I'm talking today about that peace that means that the anxiety is not welling up in us. And so when we talk about peace like that, we have to understand that God's peace is spiritual peace. It won't come on you from the outside. It actually comes from the inside. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to speak on a Wednesday night. For those of you who don't know, we have church on Wednesday night, a little bit different, a little bit less formal, but, but uh, we, we have a really good time. And uh, I, I was getting ready to speak on a Wednesday night and some information came across my desk that was very disturbing. And I remember thinking, oh, I did not need this before I went and spoke. And I, so it's, it's a disturbing thing. It was weighing on my mind. And I remember telling the Lord, Lord, I said, I, you, you're gonna have to deal with this because right now I can't. And I was down here during the praise and worship. And all of a sudden during the praise and worship on the inside, I just had a sense of it's gonna be all right. And that's really what a lot of God's peace is. It's gonna be all right. We used to sing a song years ago Justin doesn't know it, but we used to sing a song. Oh, he, oh, he probably does. He knows every song that's ever done. Um, remember that song, I Got a Feeling Everything is Going to Be All Right? See, they're both nodding their heads. They know that song. They just don't want to sing. Uh, I got a feeling everything is going to be all right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I got a feeling. Anybody remember that one? Everything is going to be all right. Oh, I got a feeling everything is going to be all right. The lyrics aren't hard. Be all right. Be all right be all right. If you really stop and think about it, that's what a sense of God's peace is. I would like to say it this way. I've got a sensing everything is going to be all right. And you can just get a sense. And so I had a sense that that situation was going to be all right. And it sure looked, it turned out to be all right. Listen, that's, that's what hope is. You hear me talk to you about reading Bible 365 and beginning to read your Bible. During the middle of the pandemic, the American Bible Society partnered with Harvard's flourishing uh, Flourishing Humanity Department, which is an unusual pairing, and they, they did some surveys. Here's what they found. On a scale of zero being no hope to 100 being extreme, extremely hopeful, they found that people who read their Bible two or three times a year scored a 42 on hopeful. People that read their Bible once a month scored a 59. People that read their Bible weekly scored a 66. And people that read Bible 365, I added that, but people that read that on a daily basis scored a 75. Now, 75 on hope meant that they were hopeful even in the middle of a, of a pandemic. How in the world can you be hopeful even in the middle of a pandemic? Because when you begin to hear from God, even though things are not going good out here, when you have a sensing in here, it's going to be all right. That gives you hope and it gives you a sense of peace. And God wants his people not to be anxious, not to be afraid, not to be in dread. He wants them to have peace. The peace of God. But it's a big deal. Now in the Bible is a, great, is a great story of a man who had a very, very shaky start. But then he, you see him begin to have an understanding that God was a God of peace. His name was Gideon and he lived in a time in Israel where there was no peace in the land. 
what had happened was that Israel had moved into this, their new promised land and then they turned their back on God. They, they stopped serving God. They started serving idols. In fact, Gideon and his parents had an idol in their backyard. They were idol worshipers. Even though God delivered them and had been so good to them, they're now serving idols. And what happened was anytime you turned your back on God, you lose your advantage over the enemy. And the enemy came in. They were called the Midianites. And for seven years, they absolutely just ran roughshod over Israel. They stole their livestock. They stole their harvest. They had to hide it in the mountains. There is no peace. There's just this sense of dread in the land. And in sports terms, they were 0 for 7 against the Midianites. They're losing. So God sends them a prophet. And the prophet says... <laughs> Hey, summarizing, he goes, hey, this is God talking. Hey, I told you guys not to serve these other gods, but now you did. And he said, this is why you're in this situation. But God didn't just send the reason. He sent an answer. And the answer was in the form of a man named Gideon, who initially does not look like a really good answer. An angel appears to him. and Let's read the story here. Angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrible tree, which was an Oprah which belongs to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Gideon said to the angel, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I'll be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. When the angel appeared to Gideon, his, his purpose was, to begin to put God's plan in Gideon that was going to deliver Israel. But when it came to Gideon, we find that Gideon believed the wrong thing. Gideon believed that God was the reason that they were in this trouble. He was blaming God for the problem. You see him, you see him do what I call the if-why conundrum. It's a confusing thing. Well, if God is with us, then why is all this happening to us? And if God is good, then why has he abandoned us? And He's explaining, you don't see Gideon take any responsibility whatsoever. I mean, he's got an idol in his backyard. And he's not saying, well, you know, we haven't served God. You know, no, no humility, no responsibility. He believed it was God's fault. And then he also, when God just kind of ignored what he said and, and spoke to him and said, hey, and you're going, to, you're going to save Israel, Gideon pushed back on that promise because he was very conscious of his own personal weaknesses. Gideon was conscious of being, he said, you know, my family, no one, you know, no one loves our family. You know, we're not the, we're not the prestigious family. We got, we got no status. And not only do we have no status, I'm the least in my whole father's house. No, you know, in other words, we're weak and I'm weaker. And Gideon, instead of being excited that God was going to be with him and God was going to help him, Gideon was pushing that away. And finally, Gideon said to the angel, if this is really you, I'm going to, I'm going to bring an offering back here. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put it before you. If it's you talking to me, God, I'm going to bring you an offering. And the angel said, okay. When he, and when Gideon brought the offering back, it was a goat 
and, and some bread. That was a peace offering. And he put it on a rock. And we see what happens next. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. That was really bright of him. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day it is still in Oprah of the Abazarites. That's not Oprah today, Oprah. That's the Oprah of the Abazarites. The um, thing about this, I think it's just so interesting is Gideon never believed that, he didn't believe that God that was, would be good to him. In fact, he believed that God wanted to kill him. And when the angel reaches out that staff and fire comes up out of the rock and just like consumes the whole offering and then the angel disappears, that could be pretty unnerving. And instead of, Gideon, instead of Gideon going, yay, hey, angel of the Lord, good things are going to happen. Gideon's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Alas, alas. We don't use alas anymore, but that's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And this is what Gideon was doing. I'm going to die. You really, he wasn't even thinking. If he was going to die, one, when the angel put up that staff and torched the, the offering, he could have put that staff on Gideon and torched him at the same time. So he didn't, God was not trying to kill him, and God had given him promises of, of using Gideon as a deliverer. But Gideon's believing the wrong thing. But then the Lord speaks to him. He says, don't be afraid. Peace to you. And Gideon had a revelation. God is peace. God is not against me. God's not hurting me. God's for me. God is peace. Actually, the word is Jehovah Shalom. And he builds an altar there. They would build altars out of, out of stones. They would make them solid. And they would build them there. They would stand. It's a permanent reminder that every time they see that altar, they go, there it is. God is peace. God is peace. You see, it's important that you serve a God who's good, and that you serve a God who, who is peace. Peace to you. But to have peace, to have the peace of God in your life, you need to have peace with God. That's where it starts. Peace with God can yield the peace of God. So we, how do I have peace with God? Because I just feel like God's angry at me. Well, peace with God begins when you accept what Jesus has done for you. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse one says, therefore, having been justified or made, made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For all of those of you in here and those of you watching online who've ever made Jesus your Lord, you've been justified because you had faith in Jesus. You've been made right in God's sight and you have peace with God. So well, I don't feel that peace. Well, this is not a feeling peace. This is a spiritual peace. But you have peace with God. There's no longer a gap. You and God aren't at odds anymore. There's peace there. My father, who's in heaven now, grew up very poor. And he grew up in, in rural Georgia and a very poor single-parent home. And uh, he, he really, he was a scrapper. He had to scrap through all his life, put himself through school, started his own business. He, he, he was a fighter. And his things, 
it, it was important for him coming out of poverty to look good. And so my dad drove a Cadillac. When he started Ford, he, he would buy Cadillacs. Not new, he always bought them pre-owned, but he bought Cadillacs. And in 1975 or no, about 76, he, he came up with a 1975 Cadillac Eldorado. Anybody remember? Just the first service, which is probably uh, demographically older than you guys, they all went, ooh, they, they knew what I was talking about. You guys will need to Google it when you get home, not now. <laughs> a Cadillac Eldorado was one, it, it was one of those old school cars. It had a hood that covered about two different zip codes. It was long, man. It just went out, had a 500 cubic inch engine in it, had a Landau top. Anybody know what a Landau top is? Four of you, great. Anyway, it was, uh, it, man, it, it was a car and it would haul. And my dad, man, he was so glad to have that Cadillac. And I was driving it to basketball practice during a winter. We'd had an unusually cold winter. I came up over a hill and hit a patch of ice. And when you hit ice, it's one of the most helpless feelings in the world. And the car just slid. Bam. Crashed into the back of another car that, was, that had already wrecked as well. So I hit the car, didn't total it, but I, I wrecked it. Wrecked my dad's Cadillac. I can remember walking into the convenience store to call home and called my father. He said, I'll be there in a few minutes. Longest wait in my life. My dad is a big man. He and I have very similar personalities and we can often clash. And I was expecting his anger. I was expecting punishment. I was also expecting his disappointment. You know, sometimes the disappointment a parent can express is worse than both. This the, uh, but I remember waiting and my dad drove up in the other vehicle and uh, he got out and we looked at the car and he, he looked at the ice and, I, and I'm, I'm waiting for it. I never forget, he looked at me, he said, he said, Alan, no one can drive on ice. He said, don't worry about it. No one can drive on ice. No anger, no punishment, no disappointment, peace. I didn't, he did not like not talk to me. There was none of that. Peace. I was pardoned. I was forgiven. When it comes to God, guys, we've wrecked the car. We've sinned and come short of his glory. But instead of getting his anger, his disappointment, his punishment, all that was laid on Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins, our punishment, and it was laid on him. He took that for us. So when we receive the Lord, we have a relationship with God. There, there is no anger, no punishment, no disappointment. There's peace. Peace with God yields the peace of God. If we're going to have the peace of God in our life, we also need to understand we need to believe the right things. That God is not our source. He's not our problem. He's our peace. And God's not the one who's caused the problem. If you're thinking... God's the one who's caused all this in my life. If, if, if God's so good, then why is all this happening? Why is God not being good? If you think God is your problem, it's going to be very hard to receive peace from him. He can't be your problem and your peace at the same time. David, who had a great revelation of God, said, he said in Psalms 46, he said, God is my refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. Listen, when you're in trouble, you need God's peace. You don't need to believe that God's the one causing that in your life. You've got to believe the right thing. Second thing is, you've got to believe the right thing about yourself. That so many people are so conscious of their own personal weaknesses, 
I realize I'm talking to many people today and the idea of you having God's peace in your life is, is, is completely foreign. And that's okay. But don't, don't throw this away. It might be new to you, but don't throw it away. Because as his child, he wants you to have his peace. You're thinking, I'm a, Alan, you don't know how I am, man. I'm, man, I, I got this problem and that problem and this issue and that issue. And there's no way that I could ever have God's peace. Listen, you can't let your personal weaknesses become a barrier between you and God and what God wants to do in your life. Because again, remember, we've already received Jesus as our Lord. And when you did that, then you became what the Bible says is a new creation. And look what God says about his new creation. In Ephesians 2, he said, for we are his worksmanship. One translation reads, we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's prepared you for good works. God's not looking, and you're going, but God, I'm just this. But God, I'm, don't do what Gideon did. How can I do it? God, I'm the weakest. I'm the, I'm the least. I'm the least spiritual. I'm, I'm not there. We need to say, Lord, I don't necessarily feel like I've got anything going on, but if you say I'm your worksmanship, thank you, I am your worksmanship. If you say I'm a new creation, thank you, I'm a new creation. If you say I am blessed and I'm blessed, if you say I'm more than a conqueror, then that's what I am. If you say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then I can and I'm not going to let that hold me back for what you want to do in my life, which is including your peace. Now, if we want the peace of God in our life, we've got to practice some things. We have to practice, you have to practice peace. Peace is ours, but we have to activate it. Now, here's a great verse. This is, in fact, this Amazon says is one of the most looked up verses online. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I want to stop right there. You notice it says be anxious for nothing. I've heard people say, you know, Alan, I got the, I got the little things. You know, I go to God on the big things. This says nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. I, I would encourage people practice on the little things before the big ones come up over the fence. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That's asking with thanksgiving. Well, why are we giving thanks? Why are we giving thanks? A, we believe he hears us. B, we believe he's doing something to help us. So now I'm thankful. Thankful, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What's that mean? It's not going to come at us from the outside. This is going to be a peace on the inside. Have you ever just been going through maybe a situation and you just all of a sudden, you got a peace on the inside and you don't know why? You're looking around going, there's no, there's no way I should be in peace. But that's the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's available for you. If you belong to him, this is what God wants you to walk in. He doesn't want his children anxious and nervous and hurting. Quick story, and I'll close. There was a man that was, grew up in Eastern Europe during a time that there was difficulty in that area and economically they were in such a depressed area that he was able to scrape together some money he and his family did and he was going to go to America and live with some cousins in America. This was back before jet airliners. He was going to go to America and he was going to start a new job and then send for the family. So they scraped all the money together and he bought a ticket on a, on a ship going to America. But he knew he didn't have the money to to buy any of the food on the ship. And so he brought with him in his belongings, his meager belongings, cans of sardines and crackers. So when the ship, when they would ring the bell for, for
for, for dinner or breakfast or lunch to be served. He would watch the people file in. He would hear the, the clink of, of silverware and glasses and he would smell the food, but he would just go to his, he would go to his little, um, his little room and he would open his sardines and his, and his crackers and he would eat and then drink water. And, you know, and, and so he did that and he was just grateful that he was going to America. When the shores of America became visible, people could see, he could see the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. He was, he was leaning on the rail of the ship, looking at it, and the captain walked up to him. And the captain said, you know, he said, uh, he said, sir, I pride myself on having dinner or at least sitting down and visiting with every passenger on, on the voyage. He said, but I've never seen you in the dining room. And uh, the man said, he said, well, sir, he said, when I, bought, when I bought my ticket, he said, I didn't have money. I didn't have money for the food. He said, so I brought some sardines and some, and some crackers. And uh, he, was, he was smiling, but he saw this look on, uh, on the captain's face and disturbed him. He said, no, no, sir, sir. And he pulls that, he said, captain, I bought a ticket. Here's, here's my ticket. Maybe he thought the captain thought he was a stowaway. The captain looked at him, he said, he said, sir, I believe, I, sir, I believe you're supposed to be here. But when you bought that ticket, you bought all the meals on the whole ship. In other words, he could have gone into that dining room, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the whole journey. He had free meals. It was all there for him. But he didn't know it, so he didn't take advantage of it. When I read that story, I, I can't help think about so many believers. They've made Jesus the captain of their life. They perceived him as Lord. And they're waiting. I'm going to wait till I get to heaven. And one day when I get to heaven, it's all going to be good when I get to heaven. When I get to heaven, I ain't going to have no more worries. When I get to heaven, there's going to be nothing but peace there. It's, it's going to be good. But I, I got to tell you, you're just glad to be going to heaven. And that's good. That is a really good thing to have. But I'm going to tell you something. God's got something for you down here. He has his peace, his wisdom, his strength, his healing, his provision. He's got that for you now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to experience it. You just have to be willing to say, Lord, thank you. You want good things for me here on the voyage, not just when I get there. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Heads bowed, eyes closed, please, no one moving and looking around. If you came this morning and you said, you know what, Alan, I, man, I, don't, I know I don't have peace with God. I know that. He knows it as well. But I want to. Maybe you've never made him your Lord. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you've walked away from him. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. If you're watching online, this prayer is for you as well. We're going to say a prayer. But if that's you that I'm talking to, you say, you know what? I, I want to pray that prayer. I want to have that peace with God. And it comes simply through believing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or coming back to him. If that's you that I'm talking to and you want in on this prayer, real quickly, shoot your hand up across this auditorium and say, Alan, that's me. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thanks. Thank you for your courage. Hands went up all over. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Great. Put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you didn't lift your hand, you wanted to. This is still a heart prayer. You can jump in. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. Pray it out loud with us. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me.
Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Father, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer. I thank you, Father, for those who've come out of darkness into your marvelous light, for those who've come back home, and for the peace that's in their hearts that starts as a seed and grows. And Father, for those of us here who know you, who love you, who've walked with you, thank you we can walk in even greater and greater peace in the days to come because you are the God of peace. And we're grateful for that. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope this message has blessed you. We have services every single Sunday at 9 and 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7. We'd love to see you here. Have a great week.